Hello, this is Arlie Proctor. Welcome to an Atomic Bombshell Extra, an even deeper dive into the life of Clara Minx-Devlin, the woman that J. Edgar Hoover rightly called the most dangerous woman alive. Now, if you heard our 10-part podcast, you know all about her astonishing life, her romances with JFK, Truffaut, Fidel Castro, Howard Hughes, and her career as a film noir goddess and the queen of 1950s teen exploitation. But Ms. Devlin's own autobiography reveals much more about her life and loves. I'm here with my great friend and colleague, Skylar DeWolf, film scholar and historian at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Now today we're gonna reveal Minx Devlin's first love, the crush of a six-year-old girl for one of the great literary giants of the 20th century, F. Scott Fitzgerald, as together they made a Wild Republic movie serial. Skylark, uh, give us some backstory here. How did Mix Devlin come to meet Scott Fitzgerald? That is a story I will tell with pleasure. It begins the day that Minx met someone else, and that would be Rex Mooney, the legendary pulp writer, the creator of Justice Done, the star writer for Black Mask magazine that gave us Dashiell Hammett and so many more. Mooney wrote for so many terrific pulps. Well, Justice Done was adapted to radio, and at the time, Minx was already working on The Heartbreak of Daphne Brent, that series, for her mother, Maggie. So Minx was a radio pro, and at the ripe old age of six, Minx got cast as the character Sparks in the radio show, and she was an instant smash hit. She had it at six years old. Oh, boy. Well, now here's the introduction to the 15-minute-a-day, five-day-a-week radio drama, uh, Justice Done Crime Smasher. Where there is crime, I am the Avenger. Where there is evil, I am the Destroyer. Where the racketeer, the hoodlum, and the gangster prey on the weak and helpless, I am the inexorable, merciless hammer of justice. Then you hear a criminal say, no, no. Then he says, justice done. By day, he's Lafcadio Drake, feckless playboy and millionaire dilettante. But by night, he's Justice Dunn, friend of the friendless, sworn enemy of the wicked, writer of wrongs, and scourge of the underworld. Together with his daffy female sidekick, Dipsy Doodle, his daughter Sparks, and his trusty chauffeur, Major Domo Sneezy McCoy, Justice Dunn has dedicated himself to the fight on crime until crime is smashed for good. So that's the beginning there. That uh, really gets your attention, especially the gunshots and the explosions. So how did Scott Fitzgerald get roped into this enterprise? Well, that's another great story. He got roped in after a meeting in the Frolic Room on Hollywood Boulevard. That place is still there, amazingly. Rex Mooney and F. Scott Fitzgerald were pals, and Fitzgerald was down on his luck. His novels weren't selling. Hollywood shunned him. His wife, Zelda, was in a pricey sanitarium. His daughter, Scotty, was in an expensive private school. He needed money. Well, here's from Minx's own autobiography. Here, she, she actually was there and recorded what was said at that first meeting in the Frolic Room. So this is, I'm now reading her work here. This is Rex Mooney addressing Scott Fitzgerald. I see your problem this way, Scotty. You're in Hollywood because you need the dough. <clears throat> you sit down with every intention of writing great stuff, but that little voice in the back of your head says, why should I waste my A1 stuff on these cretins? They can't tell chocolate from chicken poop. I'll just trick up some high-tone foodly-do, save my best work for the books, cash the checks, and be happy. Except you're not happy. 
because you know you're not being honest with yourself. In fact, I'll go further than that. I think you don't even have a self to be honest with anymore. You're certainly not the brash take on the world hellraiser you were in your 20s. Rex leaned in and gravely whispered, so who are you? Are you anyone? And Mink said, I know a little something about alcoholism. My later years, I'd have moments like what Scott was having, short windows of absolute clarity in the midst of a bender. The hesitation fell away and he looks Rex right in the eye. I'm a man in hell, Mr. Mooney. I am adrift in a punt with no oars and no rudder, riding a river of alcohol to inglorious oblivion. Just what are you proposing and how can it help me escape this chaos? Rex smiled. I'm inviting you to leave behind the world of high art, if only for a moment, and join me for a wallow in the roiling tide pool of popular culture. I'm offering you the chance to become someone new, not the burnt out literary meteor, but a word slinger like me. Imagine the pleasure of knowing your work will be judged not by the ages, but by runny-nosed seven-year-olds like Beezer here. Hell, if you're worried about your literary rep, do it under an assumed name. Exactly. And that's what Fitzgerald decides to do. He uses an assumed name, one that you may recognize, Pat Hobby. Uh, this, this is actually the birth of Pat Hobby. Uh, I'm sure Fitzgerald buffs know that uh, Fitzgerald wrote a series of short stories for Esquire in the late 1930s about Pat Hobby, who is a burned out silent film screenwriter who is uh, trying to cobble together a living in Hollywood there. Exactly. And I would love to read with you Fitzgerald's letter to his friend Edmund Wilson. Wilson was a celebrated literary critic and a champion of writers like Fitzgerald. And it is an honor to read this letter from Fitzgerald to Wilson. It's dated May 23rd, 1935. And it reads, Dear Bunny, the purport of this missive is to herald the temporary demise of your devoted confrere, Scott. In his stead, a gruesome specter of hollow-eyed defeat haunts the halls of Republic Pictures. The name of this visitant is Pat Hobby. Who is he? Our shared phantasm of perdition, that which we feared we would become, a bewildered pigeon scavenging the barren landscape of Cinemaland in search of a vendable bauble. Mr. Hobby's current enthusiasm, besides gin and the dogging of sweetmeat, is the efficacious adaptation of Justice Done, Crime Smasher, into 15 nail-biting, shock-a-block, pants-wedding episodes of serial melodrama. Have you heard the radio cast? It's a delicious reverie of zombies, evil wizards, rampaging monsters, and sinister scientists bent on enslaving the universe. Scotty loves it, as do I. And now this, a chance to join the dance in progress and take a relaxing, mendacious belly flop into the sewer of commerce. I have abandoned the search for truth and via the depraved persona of Mr. Hobby, am now honing a new craft, the art of breathless, persuasive, narrative, flim flammery. Oh, the relief, Mr. Hobby is my salvation. Wow. <laughs> Do you think people is, writing letters like that now? I don't think so. <laughs> that's quite a piece of work here. You know, uh, another piece of serendipity in this story, this was the moment in film history when Republic Pictures was born. In 1918, a Brooklyn native named Herbert J. Yates began buying up uh, struggling radio labels and um, film processing labs, including Republic Laboratories. He turned these into money makers and he used that money to buy up six different poverty row film studios, including Mascot and Monogram, to form one, what he called a major minor studio, Republic Pictures. 
He inherited two assets, a new singing cowboy star named Gene Autry and a young leading man named John Wayne. He also inherited the mascot picture's serial unit, and he decided to go all in producing movie serials. One of the first was Justice Done Crime Smasher. I think you'll get the idea of what these were like from the uh, chapter titles. Sky? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I would love to share with you every lurid chapter title from the series. Number one, The Buzzsaw of Peril. Two, Hypnotized. Three, Radio Rangers to the Rescue. Four, Volcano Vengeance. Five, Dungeon of a Thousand Knives. Six, Death by Television. Seven, The Dreaded Confusatron. Eight, Attack of the Servo Robots. Nine, yikes, flying vampire monkeys. 10, the dead don't die. 11, the fuse of doom. And finally, number 12, death wears a necktie. <laughs> I think the fuse of doom is my favorite. You can, <laughs> yeah. really, it says it all there. So, Skylar, I wonder if you can tell us why this serial is especially interesting to Fitzgerald scholars. Happily. And well, amazingly, this serial directly echoes Fitzgerald's most famous short story, A Diamond as Big as the Ritz, which echoes Edgar Allan Poe's Fall of the House of Usher. And I should mention that Fitzgerald had a lifelong and rather unhealthy obsession with Poe. <laughs> now, uh, there's a great description in uh, Minx's book about the triumphant, what she called a screening party. Uh, apparently, Minx and um, Fitzgerald would go to the Alcazar Theater in Bell, here's, in Bell Gardens. Here's, here's how she described it. But the most fun of all is watching this epic unspool at a Saturday kids matinee with Scott. Every Saturday morning for 12 weeks, we met at the Alcazar Theater in Bell Gardens. I watched Scott's face as he heard his words spoken from the screen and reveled in the squeals, moans, and shrieks from the audience. For all his success with short stories and novels, he'd never conquered the stage of the cinema till now. It was a kind of exhilarated wonder, like, I can't believe I'm getting away with this. But he was. He actually made us sit through the feature film, usually a monogram Western, just so he could stand in front of the theater and bask in the glow of his fans' smiling faces. Yes. Well, unfortunately, Fitzgerald followed that up with a disastrous pitch of another pulp story series to Rex Mooney, and that was not his forte. It didn't fly. And that was the end of F. Scott Fitzgerald's only happy romance with Hollywood. Here's the last uh, kicker of uh, the chapter on Fitzgerald, uh, Mink Stevlin wrote, of course, I read the Pat Hobby stories when they were published in Esquire, and I cried and said a prayer when he died of a heart attack. I was happy as well because, well, his demon had died with him. Okay, Skylar, thanks. That's this Atomic Bombshell Extra. Skylar DeWolf and I will be back uh, soon with another great Minx Devlin story. In the meantime, feel free to revisit the original 10-part podcast of The Atomic Bombshell and uh, do your own deep dive into the fascinating life of Minx Devlin by going to Amazon and grabbing your own copy of Minx Devlin's riotous tell-all autobiography, The Atomic Bombshell. And thanks for so much for listening. 